Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What do you need, Amy? Well, uh, you see, George didn't mean to sell the Tamago. It's a pretty good chair. I'm willing to pay whatever you want. Seriously? Do I look like I need money? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. And welcome to This Week in Streaming, which is a new podcast that is on the Decoding TV feed, where we cover the latest and greatest in what's streaming right now. Rather than doing weekly recaps, we're going to be doing... uh, both season premiere discussions as well as uh, season finale uh, discussions. And it just so happens that we have arrived today at the season one finale of Beef, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Uh, I, as of this morning, when I checked, it is the number one TV show on Netflix right now. So uh, it's doing quite well. So on today's episode of This Week in Streaming, we are going to be spoiling... Everything through the end of Beef Season 1. So if you do not want to know what happens uh, in Beef Season 1, be warned that there are going to be spoilers. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on uh, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. We are broadcasting live right now on YouTube and Twitch, youtube.com slash decodingtv and twitch.tv slash decodingtv. So you may hear us talk about some comments from people that are on those platforms. Uh, That's what is going on there. And if you want to make sure you don't miss one of those broadcasts, be sure to follow us on those platforms. Again, youtube.com slash decodingtv. All right. Beef season one with spoilers. Uh. Siddhanth, I was really excited to finish the show after our last conversation. I plowed through the remaining eight episodes in probably less than a day, uh, and maybe maybe two days. But it was it was really really fast. I mean, it, it's a really remarkable show, and uh, and we're going to sort of talk about the last two episodes as a way of getting into the season as a whole. So we'll like specifically refer to a lot of stuff that happens in the final two episodes of B season one. Uh, but really we're here to review overall what's, what's occurred now. Uh, Siddhanth, as I explained to you before we started recording, I wanted to do this thing where I recapped the entire season, like episodes three through 10 uh, <laughs> on this podcast and like kind of explained what happened, but so much stuff happens that I really quickly realized that would be impossible or impractical. So yeah, I actually have a really, really quick summary of what happens. Okay, what's that? Everything. <laughs> Thank you for that, Siddhant. Um, it's, uh, you, except in the tone of Gary Oldman from The Professional, right? Everything! Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of what you want to say? Um, yeah. My voice yeah. is a little hoarse because I was at a wrestling show last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take over that department. 
But let's talk about some of the... Also, Siddhanth, I mean, I have to yes. point it out because we are broadcasting this live on YouTube. If you're not watching, if you're just listening to the audio version, Siddhanth has just taken a... Uh, hey, hey, hey. Well, uh, people are going to oh, ask go questions. Fine. He has just taken a cup of pink liquid and drank some of it. It's, and so I need to... Can you just like, let people know what it is? It's a happening. smoothie. Have you never had a smoothie? I've had a smoothie, but it's just like, it's like a hot pink color, and so I yeah, it's got to... dragon fruit in it. Dragon fruit tends Dra- to be very pink. I love a good dragon fruit smoothie. I just wanted to explain because people might have questions. It's it's an atypical color. You know, a lot of smoothies are like green, but I fully support Siddhanth living a healthy lifestyle. Um, so this isn't so much healthy as it was like, oh shit, I'm out of time. I need to log on. Let me let me make some lunch in. Oh, Lost. okay. So it's my fault. It's my fault you're drinking dragon yeah, fruit then. Of course. <laughs> all right, so not so. I'm gonna send um, you some. I'm gonna I'm gonna invoice you for this dragon fruit. Okay, right. all right, that sounds good. Um, so rather than try to recap everything that happened, uh, let's just talk about some of the big events that yes. happened that stuck out to you, right? Uh, I would say one of the big events is Amy and Paul. Uh, continuing their emotional affair and eventually consummating it before it goes really south. Mm-hmm. Um, but a big surprise that occurred in episode seven was, I think, an eight-month time jump occurred. That's right. When you find out that Amy was able to successfully complete the Forester's uh, sale, and Danny has got sabotaged his cousin, put him in jail, uh, sabotaged Edwin, got him kicked off of the praise team, is what I understand, and ascended to the head of the praise team himself. And it seems like all their lives are going well before we loop back around again. These people's lives become inextricably tied once more, and we have an explosive ending. Um, So, yeah, anything else stick out to you, Sinan, that that is worth uh, mentioning? We'll talk about other plot points, obviously, but I'm curious, like, uh, the whole series, like, what are some of the big moments for you? Yeah, at the end of episode seven, at the end of the episode with the time jump, um, the home that Danny has spent spent mm. so long, you know, planning and building for his parents, uh, burns down in front of him, which yeah. is just a horrifying, emotionally horrifying image uh, to witness. And like, you know, even though like the specifics that come to light later are a little different from what you might assume in that moment, uh, it's still just devastating to watch because you know exactly what that means to him. Yeah, uh, and. I, I think it was uh, was it somewhere only we know by Keen that was playing over that uh, the, the 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 music cue they used was really incredible for that scene as well if I recall correctly um, I think it, so I think so it's just this kind of amazing testament to the futility of trying to achieve more in his situation uh, that I really thought was quite heartbreaking so um, but why don't we start by talking about some of our overall thoughts on the season. Siddhanth, I think you had a point you wanted to to bring up here, right? Yeah, it's got more to do with how the season wraps up. Yeah. Specifically, you know, the, yeah. the, I don't know if structure is the right word, but just what the final episode is. Because up until that point, the show is about, you know, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. And in terms of what happens in the final episode, it's not very much. Uh, in terms of plot, it's, oh, two people are wandering around a mountainside. But I just, I love the way, the the unexpected nature of how the finale, like, it brings the characters closer in both a very roundabout and a very literal way. Uh, because 
when the series begins, you know, they start off so entirely cut off from one another. That's the premise of the show. It's these two people who are not only isolated from the people around them, but isolated from each other to the point that they project this enmity onto each other, project all their hatred onto each other because they don't know each other. Um, and they become mortal enemies and kind of blow up their lives. But they, in the finale, they find this moment of mutual understanding by essentially, as it's depicted in the show, sharing the same consciousness. You know, of course, it's not, that's not literally what mm-hmm. happens. This isn't some mm-hmm. like sci-fi thing. Or is because it? Of the, oh, is it? Okay. Uh, but because of the, like, you know, drug trip, they are able to be more open and vulnerable and really understand each other on a fundamental level. It also helps the kind of cut off from the rest of society at that point. Um, they don't, you know, have their usual uh, woes and pressures and anxieties sort of pummeling them from all sides. Um, yeah. And on paper, this finale feels divorced from the rest of the show, which is all about these escalations of action um, but it works so perfectly in a thematic sense to bring these two people together. And, um, yeah, I was wondering how you felt about, you know, that journey to getting there and how it wraps up. It's really interesting because I do feel the need to say that when we started recording this podcast, uh, last week, yeah. you asked me to predict what might happen at the end of the podcast. And I think I got virtually every prediction wrong. If I recall correctly, you know, I yeah. don't, I, I, you know, one of my big predictions was, um, the Forrester's acquisition was not going to happen. Or if it does happen, it will be like a Pyrrhic victory. It will be at such a high cost. That's not quite what occurs. <laughs> the, yeah. the Forrester's acquisition does occur. Uh, the high costs come afterwards, but then it's not during the Forster's acquisition. Um, I think I also made some speculations about like how the two of them might grow to understand. Like I, I had initially predicted that would continue destroying each other's lives, but I think yeah. I also made room for the possibility that they might grow to understand each other in some degree. That did happen, I think. Yeah. obviously, right. So, um, but, but yeah, not in the way that not in the way that I think anyone watching expected. Yeah, you know, I was reflecting on um, when you take like TV shows like Atlanta and Dave, uh, mm-hmm. the the Hulu slash FX TV shows Atlanta and Dave, which many people think are are similar in some ways. And one of the interesting things about those shows is both of those shows. So very very minor spoilers for those shows coming up. Both of those shows start with this kind of down-on-their-luck, plucky musician trying to make it big in the industry. And they kind of mine that plot for a really long time, you know, multiple seasons of, hey, this person's just trying to make it, they're trying to survive, they're trying to succeed. And eventually, both Atlanta and now Dave, my understanding is, that they now have plot, or they eventually reach plot lines where the main musician character was like hugely successful. And then they need to like explore what that is. Um, we've also seen this with other shows, again, very minor spoilers, but like Breaking Bad. Um, you know, Breaking Bad spent four seasons, Walter White trying to break bad, trying to succeed, eventually does succeed. Because eventually I think show creators realize 
we have gotten all the drama and interesting things out of the plotline of this person struggling to succeed, right? Like, <laughs> like that is really interesting. But at some point, they run out of ideas, or they they run out of areas where they can take that story that they are truly interesting. And so, at some point, they they need to say, "Hey, um, let's see what happens when the person actually succeeds. Let, let's see what because that that is the logical next step." And when the show started, I thought to myself, oh, this show is going to be about all these people failing horribly. But I should have realized it's hard to sustain that for 10 episodes. And that, I was like, well, how are they going to sustain this for 10 episodes? Of course they don't. Episode 7, time jump. Uh, they're, they're now in a much better place. They're mu- now in a much more successful place, etc. Um, and... Uh, and I think that was an interesting move. Basically, I, I think I, it, was, it's, it was an interesting move. It wasn't the show that I, it wasn't the move that I thought the show would take because, again, typically a show would take multiple seasons to get to that point. Um, yep. And so I thought this was going to be like uh, an n word. I'm sorry, an endless downward spiral. That's what I thought season one was going to be. Instead, it's a downward. It's more of like a par- parabola, you know, like or whatever. It like goes down. But then it like comes back up again, and then it goes down again. That's kind of like how I, I feel about it, right? What do you think? Yeah, about no, mathematical graphs. I think the best way to chart TV shows. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate yeah. your uh, affirmation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, so. <laughs> uh, the, the show that the show that came to mind um, in the specific context was you familiar with the Ricky Gervais HBO series Extras? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, yeah. how the first season, you know, he's an extra, yeah. and in the second, it's all about you know how success gets to his head. Yeah. Um, and I think they, you know, do kind of something like that here, but in a much more condensed fashion. Um, but also the Breaking Bad comparison, I think is extremely apt also because Breaking Bad is something that came to mind like very early while watching the show, obviously not Mm -hmm. in terms of its premise. It's not, you know, inherently a crime show, even though the direction it takes in the ninth episode, even though crimes happen, Yeah. yeah, crimes do happen. Um, but I think the biggest thing uh, that um, I think makes it like Breaking Bad is, again, you know, we, the audience, we have uh, sort of a, an omniscient view of what's going on. We know things that the characters don't. Mm-hmm. And we are kind of waiting for things to reach a tipping point, waiting for things to explode in, yeah. in both shows. And I think what both shows do incredibly well is um, the the reveals between characters the way the information travels between characters happen at the most inopportune moments for the characters but the most opportune moments for the drama Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think it's you know what reveals might be like teased along the way but um like paul finding out you know how much danny you know who his girlfriend actually is and how much danny knows about her and all that happens at a moment where it would make sense for them to temporarily reconcile. And uh, it's just very, it's it's, uh, to quote Jeremy Strong, it's dramaturgically sound. Uh, Yeah. And also, you know, the, the Breaking Bad uh, comparison also works in the sense that in both beef and Breaking Bad, it's characters who have concealed their somewhat monstrous natures from the rest of the world. And like how that's slowly coming to light in different ways. Right. Um, so I, I appreciate the comparison on multiple levels, but so all that said, Sinanth, one thing I wanted to talk with you about is episode nine in particular takes a hard swerve, right? Mm -hmm. The creator of the show, Lee Sung Jin described episode nine as a rubber band snapping. 
it's basically a reckoning resulting that uh, that results from all of the characters terrible choices the fallout of all their good intentions um people die uh the andrew santino character is shot uh, Jordan's or internal organs are crushed by a panic room. You know, it actually struck me that um, in the two popular depictions of panic rooms that we've seen, Beef, Season 1, Episode 9, and the David Fincher movie Panic Room, both works feature somebody getting crushed in a panic room door. So I feel like there's somebody out there in Hollywood who's really advocating against panic rooms that have crushing doors. You know what I'm saying? Um, now the panic comes from the panic room itself. Now I suppose. Yes, the panic. The yeah. panic is coming from inside the panic room, as it were. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I am curious. What did you think of episode nine? Because here's the thing: I thought until episode nine, uh, the show was pretty grounded. Like yeah. e- everything that happened in the show is stuff that, in my opinion, could have happened to my neighbor down the street or in real life. Like, mm-hmm. but then episode nine kind of takes it to this level where it almost feels over the top like a Coen Brothers movie in a way that I don't think the first eight episodes <laughs> felt like. So I'm yep. curious, yeah, what did you think of episode nine and, and how the series wrapped up? So in order to talk about episode nine, I want to talk about its closing image and the opening image of episode 10, just to kind of talk about it. I think in a way the show wants you to talk about it. It ends on the image of these two crows, episode nine. and episode 10, you see these crows having a conversation about how, you know, Danny fed one of them. And so, uh, you know, they attack, you know, Amy and stop her from shooting him. And basically what that entire absurdist sort of magical realist thing is, is the ripple effects of people's actions spreading far and wide. And I think that is what all of episode nine is. It is every chicken coming home to roost. There are so many bird-centric ways to talk about this show. Um, it's it's every reaction of every action on the show. Um, it's, it's an explosion caused by all the various matches that have been lit along the way. So, you know, again, on paper, if you were to tell me, like, the first couple episodes about these two people who, you know, have a road rage incident and don't like each other... And then, you know, by episode nine, you have a SWAT team coming in to kill two Dick Cheney's robbing a billionaire. Um, there's, a, there's a, you know, it sounds like there's a fundamental disconnect somewhere along the way. But it makes perfect sense as an externalization, uh, a manifestation of uh, Amy and Dan, Amy and Danny's actions throughout the show, which have all come from place of hatred, a place of, you know, hiding who they are, hiding their intentions. Um, yeah, it's it's the the Ozymandias episode of Beef. Again, uh-huh. Breaking, Bad, Breaking Bad parlance, which... I'm, I'm surprised you know, they didn't reference Ozymandias in the episode titles, right? So True. We should, we, <laughs> we should say that episode nine is called The Great Fabricator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It is attributed to a quote from Simone Weil, who says, Attachment is the great fabricator of illusions. Reality can be obtained only by someone who is detached, end quote. Um, and the idea, according to Netflix's blog, is that in order to fully accept reality, you must experience a form of loss. As episode nine sees both characters lose the person closest to them. Here, I, think it's also, I think it's also kind of uh, sort of darkly funny because – 
you know, who's the character who is most seemingly attached to the material? It's it's Maria Bello's character, and she ends up quite literally detached. I, I did find it a nice touch that Maria Bello, uh, or uh, Naomi, I guess, divorced her husband and then got together with Maria Bello. That was a nice touch yeah. in the show. Um, but in terms of episode nine... Uh, you know, I I don't know if I love it. Sinan. I think I I understand what you're saying. Like you you put it very you get well. Get out is, of here. Which is that it is a great way of having all these chickens come home to roost. Like these characters have done horrible things that have had like it, it's like a fractal. I think I I might have used that word already. It's like yes. it spirals out and like all has all these different things. All the 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 terrible things they do touch all the people around them in different ways, and mm-hmm. you need to have some kind of reckoning for that. I do agree with that. Um, I wish it had felt a little bit less over the top to me. It felt like it, it honestly, episode nine, literally out of all the episodes felt like it was from a different show, um, mm-hmm. a different tone show because everything else, even episode 10, I would argue felt very grounded in reality. Um, and so uh, the, uh, in particular, the decision where she says, Hey, uh, I don't have a, I don't have that much money, but you can come here and steal all these things, and then you can have you know it's it's just like that's an extremely stupid thing for her to say, Amy for her, Amy to say, and it's a stupid, extremely stupid thing for Isaac to think is a good idea. Uh, and so I was, it's was hard for me to make that leap to suspend my disbelief in that way. So I don't think these are the particularly smart people, though. <laughs> I I get you're, you know, you're allowed to feel that way. You're allowed to feel that way about it, of course. Yes, and Amy, you're you're right. Isaac's not super smart. Amy's in like a desperate situation, but yeah. this felt like more stupid than even the stupidest thing that they did. So like, I was kind of, uh, I, I it kind of shattered my suspension of disbelief there. However, however, mm-hmm. uh. You needed to have episode nine in order to have the setup for episode 10, which is these two characters are wandering in the desert, you know, with each other, having lost everything. And, uh, and so I, so like by the end, I kind of like accepted that, Hey, you needed to have episode nine to get to the setup of episode 10. Mm -hmm. I like Seattle KO in the chat says it's weird. Episode nine felt like a finale. So when they were falling off the cliff, I was like, wow, this is a literal cliffhanger. Ha <laughs> um, But then episode 10 started. Anyway. Yeah, cliff, cliff plummet, more like. Yeah, cliff So I, I did appreciate that the setup of episode 10 is a really good one of, hey, they're, they're, they've lost everything. They're wandering. They, all they have is each other. They're wandering alone in the desert. And you needed to have something as cataclysmic as episode 9 to do that. But like, I felt it could have probably been a little bit less over the top. Still, I know uh, a lot of people probably have different opinions on this. You, it sounds like you really enjoyed episode nine. It yeah. just wasn't as much of a thing that I enjoyed personally. Only one of us can be right. It's fine. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> episode 10, Figures of Light. Um, yeah. A, a quote from Carl Jung. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Uh, and according to the Netflix blog... Jung writes about how in order to move forward, we must first tap into our darkness. So that's what, that's what episode 10 is about. Um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get to episode 10 and, and talk about the ending and, and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in more detail, Siddhant, is one of the things I wanted to mention is uh, this show, Beef, has 
some pretty in-depth depictions of uh, Asian American churches. Like mm-hmm. it spends quite a bit of time in uh, from what appears what, what I can tell like a uh, Korean church, mm-hmm. and I spent quite a bit of time in Asian American churches growing up, uh, and. It was pretty triggering to see this depiction, but not necessarily in a bad way. You know, like what I was worried about is it would be like a really over the top depiction of a Christian church, and I would feel like, oh, they're taking some pot shots at the church. But I did still cringe, but I cringed because of how accurate it was and not because it was mm-hmm. like this exaggerated over the top situation. Uh, so it actually felt relatively respectful as a, as a Christian church. Like every, everything about praise leading and how the songs go and how the praise leader chooses the songs, like all that stuff like felt very accurate to me. Um, but at the same time, I cringe as I'm watching it because I've experienced all these things and I'm now viewing them from a different perspective. So I'm curious how the religious element came off to you as presumably an outsider. My guess is you haven't spent a lot of time in uh, Christian churches growing up or at least Asian Christian churches. Not, uh, I mean, well, not Asian American churches. No, yeah. I, Mumbai is a very Christian uh, city. I went to a Christian school and like we had like, oh, uh, okay. you know, a, a church and, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I mean, the British only left us like 75 years ago. Um, <laughs> T, T. But, Adams, T. Adams in the chat says, Danny's breakdown in church seemed authentic, even as what he was doing was terrible. That, that was an incredible sequence where yeah. he goes to church and I don't think he really, you know, who knows what he, what Danny actually believes, but the, the point of that is, Simply being in a church with other people who are trying yeah. to find something transcendent was sufficient for him to be able to like experience some kind of release. That was very, very powerful. But yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to make That's judgments okay. about your childhood. But like, yeah, what did no, you think no, of no, the depiction of? Um, what did you think of the depiction of of this church in in beef? Yeah, I was gonna say that the third episode really, really stuck with me because you know, even though I haven't spent much time in like, Korean churches specifically. Um, the idea of, you know, whether or not Danny, you know, uh, you know, believes, um, he, at, at that point in his life, he needs some form of community, some form of connection. And my reference point for, you know, things like this are generally like, uh, well, you know, when you see depictions of group therapy or in my case, like some, some kind of like acting class or something where you are allowed to, or forced to bear your soul in like a, you know, a small little like community setting. It's, you know, the floodgates kind of open when you are in a space that visually, verbally, and acoustically kind of makes you tap into certain feelings, whether it's hearing other people sing around you in the way that reverberates off the walls or um, just, you know, being psychologically primed to be like, okay, this is a place where, you know, people can be vulnerable and this is a place where, you know, and Danny, he doesn't say anything at that point, but seems to think, okay, I, you know, on some level, I need this because I'm, I find myself at a place in my life where I'm broken. And I think Stephen Young's performance is phenomenal in that moment because the you know, two point whatever episodes prior, two and a half episodes prior, he is just brimming with anger and, um, yeah, for, for anger to come out in the form of like the sort of anguished wailing is not unfamiliar, you know, because, you know, emotions can be complicated. They're not linear. And, you know, when, when you need uh, some kind of release, you know, it can come out like this, um, 
almost this crying out of relief almost um in addition to crying out of like the realization that okay i'm i'm lonely i need people or whatever it is yeah um so it sounds it sounds like they kind of resonated with you as a depiction yeah. overall right hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombus we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombus Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At blue nile. dot com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Yeah. Sidon, so you had a question about how the finale kind of brings things full circle for Danny. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about uh, your thoughts on on how the finale kind of brings things full circle for him. Yeah. When the show begins and we may not realize it immediately, um, he's in a place where he wants to kill himself. You know, there's no real nice way to put that. Um, and he also says at some point that, um, you know, it's like the universe wanted him gone because he's trying to return the Hibachi grills that he's trying to carbon monoxide poison himself with. Uh, but he can't. And so that obviously, like, understandably pisses him off. And when the series begins, he is at death's door. He is close to um, killing himself, but doesn't, but then tries again, uh, but then decides not to. And he's in this place where he doesn't even know if he wants to live or what he has to live for. And the finale also has him in a similar space where he thinks he's dying, you know, but it's the scenario, you know, of having, like you said, lost everything. And now, you know, opening up to Amy, um, he ends up in like a place of acceptance, uh, not just of death, but uh, of the life he has lived of the person he is. And, and I think that's, it's kind of fascinating because it's, not where most shows would go if they started off in the place that this one did, because he is still, you know, at death's door. It's just that he has come to understand himself in a different way. And I was wondering, do you also feel like the show is in a way about accepting the nature of life so that you can eventually face death or accept death? Yeah. Uh, did you see John Wick chapter four? Yes. I've been referencing John Wick a lot these days. I guess it it is deeper than I thought it was. <laughs> um, in John Wick Chapter 4, a character says this line. I don't believe this is a spoiler, um, but a character says this line. <clears throat> Those who cling to death live. Those who cling to life die. End quote. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I do think there is... Some something uh, true about that, right? That 
Uh, and there's many different philosophical interpretations of what is meant by that line. So I, I will yeah. only begin to touch upon what my interpretations are. I know there's many others. You're welcome to share yours at decodingtv at gmail.com. But the idea is that in letting go of life, in letting go, and in this case, I think, letting go of your expectations for life, in letting go of what you think life should be, in letting go of what you wish life was, in only doing so, um, only doing so can you truly live, I think, as opposed to clinging to life, which then mm-hmm. is a spiritual death of the kind that people experience in this show, right? Did that make sense? I, I it hope does. it made sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I do, th- you know, I wanted to tell the story. Um, you ever heard of the podcast Heavyweight? Uh, there's a great podcast from Gimlet Media called Heavyweight. I've only listened to a few episodes, but one of the first episodes was really amazing. Uh, and I, it's the thing where like I, I listened to an episode and I was like, "This is a, one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard." I promptly then never listened to the rest of the podcast, so that was bad on me. <laughs> but it was about um, uh, Moby. You know the uh, the musician Moby. Yeah, and he won a uh, you know he won like a bunch of Grammys, and basically. Moby had a friend, and this friend like lent him some tapes, and Moby then used sampled those tapes to make a song that became an international hit, and then won a Grammy, and then like mm-hmm. never gave the tapes back, never like acknowledged this guy's contributions. So the mm-hmm. purpose of the podcast was we're going to find Moby, and we're going to get the tapes back and like talk to him about this problem. Like that was the premise of the podcast, right? Yeah, it, they they resolve that show. By the way, resolves longstanding beefs. FYI. So, like, that's kind of, yeah. And one of the most fascinating things about that show or that podcast was how they were saying that uh, they they talked to Moby, and Moby revealed that at the height of his fame and popularity, like when he had achieved, he won the Grammy, he had achieved everything, that was when he felt the most depressed he had ever felt. Because he realized at that point that the depression and sadness wasn't attached to merely not achieving something, right? Like you Ooh. think to yourself, Oh, if I win the Grammy, if I w- have a million dollars, if I get married, I will finally be happy. And then when you achieve those things and you aren't happy, it can create a profound depression. And I think that is really a dynamic that is in play in did the Moby example make sense, by the way, did I, did I did, tell that yeah. yeah. So that's an example that's in play in episode, I think, seven or eight when um, Danny goes to meet Amy at her house. Yeah. And he says, hey, I, like, I heard you're happy. Everything's great now. I need to know if I need to get to where you are. Like, if you're happy, then I can get to where you are and I'll be happy. That's the logic, right? Mm-hmm. And Amy does not have reassuring words to say to him about that, right? So, um, so I do think, you know, per, per your original question, Sanath, I do think it's... It's about accept, accepting the nature of life so that you can accept death. But when, I, when you say accepting the nature of life, it's like letting go of the preconceptions you have around life so that you okay. can accept death, right? Like, and, and, that it's, and then finally accepting death, that can you finally truly be alive? Which I do think is the state that the characters of the show achieve at the very end, you know, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Let's talk about that very end, you know? Sure. Uh, the very last shot of the movie, Amy curls up with Danny in his hospital bed. We get a little time lapse. It's actually very, very beautiful. 
Um, some people, including Ali Wong herself, have hinted that there might be some kind of romantic connection between the two of them. I'm curious what connotations you have. Like, what do you, how do you interpret the last shot? When you look at the last shot, what, do you, what is on your mind? Like, what, how do you interpret what is going on in the very final shot of the two of them being in the hospital bed? I think, to me, it it's a sort of physical manifestation of everything we've seen up until that point in the episode about these two people becoming one in a way it's um mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> are you you familiar with uh the show evangelion no i'm not but you know yeah uh so there is um a concept in that that i you know won't get into the specifics about how um what would happen if the walls between people broke down completely and we could all become like you know one consciousness um and you know obviously that doesn't happen in a literal sense here but i just think that is a mm-hmm. sweet little physical manifestation that okay this experience that these two characters had in this you know dreamlike state in this um psychedelic state uh has carried over um into you know quote unquote reality uh i i think it's you know despite the fact that uh obviously danny isn't doing too well um, I think it's a really sweet ending. And, you know, whether or not there are emotional, uh, excuse me, romantic connotations, you know, I think, it, it, I don't think it's worth saying that, you know, this is romantic or this isn't romantic. It is two people who have connected, you know, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally in a very fundamental way, in a way that they haven't been able to connect with anyone else. So regardless of whether or not it's romantic, I think it's incredibly meaningful. I think that's absolutely right. Beautifully said, Sanand. Uh Seattle KO in the chat says they're connected spiritually, whether they like each other or not is what I took from it. What's mm-hmm. so great about the show is these two people start off hating each other and what they end up realizing is they have more in common than they originally thought, right? Like they, yeah, it's a, it's a enemies to lovers fanfic. Exactly. I mean, the, that, <laughs> the the things they thought that divided them actually, like, even though they're from such, such different circumstances, um, you know, there there is more commonality than than they think. I love movies and TV shows where two people are rivals, but then they like eventually uh, realize their shared connection or that they, there's something that they have in common. You know, one of my favorite examples from this is. Um, the Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> the podca- this podcast is over, Sidon. Um, <laughs> you insulted the, uh, my pink sludge. The, uh, uh, it's a movie that no one talks about, um, and I think very few people have seen, but it's called The Three Burials of Melchiada Sestrada. Uh, okay. It's one of the f- only, if not few, films that Tommy Lee Jones has directed. Um, hmm. Anyway. Great, great movie, uh, and it, it's kind of a similar dynamic, um, but it, or it has a similar dynamic within it. But yeah, I, I think it is really powerful to see these two people who, like, ha- having had this hatred, are forced into a situation where they must connect with each other, aka in the desert where they need to cooperate in order to survive. And then at the end of the day, uh, they can finally become... Uh, closer and and realize that you know they they actually not only have a lot in common but actually care about each other 
You know, that's that's really the beauty of the ending. I didn't I didn't pick up any romantic uh, inclinations myself, but I, I did want to acknowledge it because I think it is something that is going to be a topic of conversation. Um, but I, what you said is right. Regardless of whether it's romantic or not, there is a connection and there is caring there now in in a space where there wasn't before. So, um, yeah, and I think you know when when the show begins, and you know we don't see Amy initially, but it's it's a moment where, when she flips Danny off. It's a moment where she lets who she is slip out from her very yeah. controlled, you know, um, affluent suburban image. She exposes a tiny bit of herself, and it leads to disaster throughout her life. And then, you know, the series throughout touches on like, you know, how she is afraid to, you know, be herself, afraid to, you know, put that on display and afraid to be vulnerable. Whereas the whole final episode is her finally finding a space and a scenario and a person in front of whom, you know, she can be honest and vulnerable about who she is and where both characters can um, acknowledge who they are in the process of acknowledging who the other person is. And I think, you know, that again manifests in when you're not quite sure who is actually talking about who, you know, because of like the drugs they're on. But I, I think it's, it's a fascinating take on, just these two characters' egos, you know, where they are at the beginning of the show and how much that breaks down and slips away by the end in this specific scenario. I do think that's a key theme of the show is the extent to which modern life suppresses our personhood, right? Mm-hmm. That at the beginning, particularly Amy, who you feel like Amy is wearing a mask that's going to break at any time for most of the show, Right. That she does not get to express who she really is. She doesn't get, not get to reflect who she really is to the world because she'll be judged for it because she'll lose what she has. But the thing is, she loses what she has anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think yes, like this doesn't mean you should operate just on id all the time. But I do think that there is a case the show makes for striking a balance between who you want to be and what the world wants you to be. And also just Mm -hmm. civilization's constraints. Like you can't go around murdering people, you know what I'm saying? But like, if you're a murderer at heart, you can't just go around murdering people. But, but I do think there has to be a balance between, Hey, I'm not going to share with anyone who I think. Um, and, and and I do think you're right that like a key part of it is finding your people, finding people who are like you, who will understand you. And that's another thing that Amy lacked in her whole life was like finding those people. So, yeah, and a big part of her fear is also, you know, obviously passing this element of herself down to June, her daughter. Um, and of course, you know, we we don't like we don't see June grow up. We don't really get into her as like a person, and that's fine because she's you know still a kid. Um, but I think in in sort of a almost a tongue in cheek way, you you do get like a a, a giant weird metaphor for what would happen if these two characters were to, you know, the way their parents did, uh, have kids and, you know, pass down their traumas and all that, um, if they didn't, you know, change who they are or acknowledge who they are. And that's the house that Danny builds. Because the reason it explodes is because the wiring is all fucked up. And he hasn't figured out how to fix it. And I know, like, I'm taking, you know, the literal idea of wiring and applying it to, like, how we are wired psychologically. But, you know, if you think of the house I, as this I think creation, the show traffics heavily in metaphor, so I don't think yeah. you're, you're in a bad 
Yeah, because his, you know, his, yeah. his parents also keep talking about, you know, settle down, have kids, whatever. And this is something he's, you know, doing for his parents, the way a lot of people, you know, in a lot of Asian cultures, uh, my own included, you know, have kids because of the pressure to have kids. You know, when are you going to give me a grandchild? That sort of thing. And this is what would happen if you're not really ready or prepared. You don't have the right physical and psychological tools. You're going to create something that will reach a point where it explodes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, that's all apt. And um, I, I did think that the way the show talked about that was a little bit... That, that idea felt a little bit underbaked to me, this idea of being afraid to pass on her sins to her child. There's a whole episode where she kind of flashes back to her upbringing and kind of how mm-hmm. her parents were, um, you know, their actions kind of shaped who she is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I never really felt like I got a clear understanding of what the show was was mm-hmm. trying to say there. Um, you know, like yeah. there, there's a bunch of different ideas about generational trauma and passing it on from one generation to the next. But it honestly felt like one of the less developed ideas because there's just a lot going on. The show has a lot of ground to cover. And so um, I didn't really feel like I got a strong thesis there. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, I kind of do. I think, um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about ideas like generational trauma and passing them down, you know, whether it's a show like this, whether it's a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think for a lot of viewers acknowledgement of the idea tends to be enough like oh i recognize that mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing but um you don't really see too many things get into it in more than a conceptual way and i'm trying to think like are there any shows or movies i've seen that really touch on like the specific mechanics of you know a parent raising a child and you know things to I, I mean i would say every way. i would say everything everywhere all at once does like a reasonable job of it. Um, okay. But, but yeah, I, I, I mean, there's also this line where Amy says to George, you know, I'm not a good person. You are a good person. And that the, there's almost, the show is almost Amy, who is an unreliable narrator is trying to say like, Hey, there's, there's good people and there's bad people and I'm a bad person mm-hmm. and you're a good person. I didn't like that binary quite because I think like per our previous conversation until now, it's less about bad people and good people. It's more about being true to yourself. Like a lot of the stuff that a lot of the bad stuff that happened happened because Amy wasn't true to herself and what she wanted, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Um, but I don't know. Do you think the show is trying to say that there are categorical, like you put people in categories, there are bad people and good people and the bad people shouldn't infect the good people. Amy seems to be advocating for that, but yeah. I don't know that, but I don't know that we should say that Amy is right to be advocating. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know I don't, that she is a good... There, yeah. I don't think there's, like... There may not be a single point in the show where Amy's right about anything. So I, I think we can <laughs> yeah, dismiss yeah. that that's something the show is trying to say. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like, if but, anything, like, if Amy says something, the show is saying the opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that, but these are just some things that the show stirred up for me, right? So... Um, so, Sananth, uh, did you have any... I think you had a couple of other closing topics for us, right, as we wrap this up. Did I? Could you refresh my memory? Yeah. Uh, well, you have uh, this... Actually, you're right. I think we actually covered all this. So yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of favorite well, quotes I noted down. In yeah, yeah. So let's do, let's do that in a bit. But I guess before we wrap yeah. up here, I, I, you know, I, don't know, I don't know if we actually said this, 
But overall, I think it's a really brilliant show. Oh, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and it's a show that is about what it feels like to be alive at this point in time. That yeah. just happens to have a cast almost entirely populated by Asian Americans, which is a remarkable achievement on both fronts, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't, um, I don't necessarily think it's you know a matter of happenstance, just because not not to say that you're implying that, yeah. but because it gets into such specific familial dynamics, and I think again it's very intentional that okay, Danny is Korean. Uh, you know, Amy is Chinese and Vietnamese, George is Japanese, because it is creating this tapestry of, you know, what we think of in like the Western consciousness as Asian American, uh, which is, you know, uh, this, you know, uh, group of East Asian immigrants and first and second gen people who's, you know, who, who get culturally lumped together, but also because of that end up sharing a lot of, uh, you know, cultural traits as Americans and common experiences uh, in a way that I haven't seen too many movies really acknowledge other than um, familiar with the work, uh, the works of Andrew Ahn, the independent filmmaker. Yeah. 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 uh, Like the movie Spa Night, which I think is a a really great depiction of uh, the way Asian American teenagers interact uh, regardless of what the, you know, specific family background is. And I think, this is a show that even though there are specificities um, really, you know, brings that home in an interesting way. I definitely got the feeling uh, I, there's a several moments at which I saw myself recognize myself and the experiences I've had. No, that's uh, if in- you turn off the TV, like the reflection, that's, <laughs> that's what that is. Thank you, Sanath. I appreciate You're it. Welcome. But You're welcome. I actually sent a clip to my parents because there's a scene where Danny's talking to his parents and his mom's like, um, hey, I think you're eating too much. And he's like, no, this is all, <laughs> this is all muscle. And I literally have had that exact conversation with my parents because I've been, I've been lifting weights, uh, for the last, you know, however many months and like I've gained a significant amount of weight. Um, but also like some of it is muscle. And so my parents, and I've had that exact interaction with my parents, obviously mm-hmm. recognize a lot of myself in the, the Christian church elements too. Yeah. Um, but beef at the end of the day, I think is about, uh, how challenging modern life is for people across the economic spectrum, how yeah. society places expectations on you um, that become like a part of your being and how difficult it is to overcome those expectations. And we see everyone in the show dealing with it to varying degrees. Um, one minor moment that the show surf- where the show surfaces this is uh, Edwin, you know, at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like I think for most of the show, Danny's like jealous of Edwin because Edwin, yeah. you know, he's a nice looking, respected dude who uh has a beautiful wife who's with a family on the way. He also um is a robotic humanoid in the movie After Yang that's beloved by Colin Farrell. Um but he uh then you find out, like, oh, it's actually Edwin that's jealous of Danny the whole time, which is like a complete shock, right? Yeah. And that is kind of, that was a small moment in the show, but it's a profound statement on modern life, in my opinion, which is like, you're always competing with other people. You're always wanting what other people have. And sometimes they want what you have. And that's a very perverse situation because that just shouldn't happen. That's weird. That's weird that that happens. But, but this is what, 
modern America li- American life is like. And um, only in trying to accept ourselves and accept like what we have and accept our situation can we truly find peace. I think is I think is what the show is trying to say. You know, I don't know if you have any uh, what your reaction is to that, but no, I think you you hit the nail on the head. And like like I said last week, so much of it is about you know um, how we treat people we don't know, which is you know sounds like an oversimplification, but. Uh, it really resonates in the age of social media. Uh, yeah. But, you know, going going a few layers deeper, yeah, no, I think you. there's not much more to say than what you just did. Well, you also, know, there's all, there's beef also, is yummy. All, yeah, beef is yummy. Also, all the platitudes are true, too. You know, you, you never... Everyone's fighting a battle you know nothing about. That's the other thing, is... is um, at the beginning of the show, they are unaware of each other's lives and the and the struggles they're facing, and by the end, they they do know about them and they have so much more empathy for each other as a result. Yeah, um, it's that it's that you know, be kind. You don't know what someone is going through. Yeah. Refrain that you see thrown around on social media a lot, but only after you know someone passes or harms themselves or something like that. Like it it becomes like this. Uh, this thing people say in retrospect very rarely. Like, oh yeah, we should have known conscious. that they were yeah. going through that they were going through something. But it's like the yeah. best thing to do: get out in front of it. Just assume they're going through something, and yeah. treat people accordingly with that kind of kindness and understanding. You know. Yeah. So, anyway, some thoughts on beef. It's been so much fun to discuss this with Sedanta Laka, and I just want to say thank you so much if you're watching this live right now at YouTube.com/slash Decoding TV. The uh, the VOD version is also available. Um, we'll get to our quotes in a moment, but I want to, uh, announce a few things. First of all, the next show that's out that I will be covering is Barry, which has its season premiere on Sunday. Uh, and so we'll be covering the season premiere and then, uh, this podcast will cover the season finale. Uh, we'll see if we can work out the scheduling for the finale because Sedanth may be in France at the time, right? Or... Uh, yeah, so we'll see. At the we'll Cannes Film Festival. Also, yeah. it's two episodes premiering oh, uh, nice. this Sunday. Yeah, so we'll cover yeah. the first two episodes here on uh, this week in streaming on Decoding TV. Uh, be sure to find us over at youtube.com slash Decoding TV or on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, and Twitch at Decoding TV. You can email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and listen to the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Finally, if you want to support this podcast, get early access to episodes and ad-free episodes, become a paid subscriber at decodingtv.com. We really appreciate everyone there who's supporting this show and making it possible. Siddharth, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me on Twitter at at Siddhant Adlaka, where I link to pretty much everything I write across the internet, whether it's video essays on YouTube or articles at Inverse, JoySauce, Vulture, IGN, Polygon, IndieWire. It's uh, it's a it's a lengthy list at this point. Careful, to, careful, Siddhant. You've just you've dropped a bunch of names. Let me let me get those for you. You dropped a bunch of names, Thank you. Siddhant. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, very helpful very helpful yes okay all right well let's talk about favorite quotes you know my favorite quote uh, honestly from the whole series is i just want to know if i need to get to where you are which danny asks amy and she says everything fades nothing lasts we're just a snake eating its own tail which as you may or may not know is my life philosophy no i'm just joking but i do think i do think that interaction summarizes the entire series so that that is my favorite quote so now hit us with your favorite quote from the series uh, can I cheat and give you two? All right, hit me. All right, they're both from the final episode. Uh, one is when Amy says, I think when nowhere feels like home, you just retreat into yourself, which mm-hmm. is a very true-to-life kind of thing. Why did, why, uh, yeah, but, tell me why that resonates with you, Sidanth. 
Tell me a little bit. About it, it resonates because you know when you know you're still finding yourself and you're not able to, you know, whether it's through other people or places or experiences or work or relationships, um, you kind of get like you kind of cocoon yourself in a way. Um, you have no choice but to like isolate yourself from the world and like maybe you think at some point maybe the problem is me. Maybe I shouldn't be putting myself out there because I don't deserve that happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But on a slightly lighter note, uh, my other favorite <laughs> quote, uh, we, we haven't talked as much this week about Ali Wong's performance. So yeah. um, uh, her delivery as Amy is just so fantastic. Uh, there's at one point when, you know, they're down the side of the hill in the desert arguing about where the gun is. And Danny asks, how do I know you're not hiding it? Because you're a pathological liar. And Amy says, because I would be shooting you with it, you moron. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just thank you, just, Wong. <laughs> Fair enough. Those are some of our favorite quotes from the show. But I think that's going to wrap us up here today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation about beef season one. Uh, we'll be talking about Barry starting next week, uh, and then Dead Ringers later this month. But let us know what you think of this format, this podcast, everything about it, decodingtv at gmail.com. The feedback is how we're going to know to keep doing this. So decodingtv at gmail.com is where you can send that feedback in. Really appreciate it. If you have have feedback for David on his love for the rise of Skywalker, please send that his way. He is Siddhanth Adlaka. I am David Chen. You've been listening to This Week in Streaming on Decoding TV. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 